Oh, hello, Nantucket. How are you guys doing? This is the third attempt I've made at doing this intro because I had so much to talk about and I keep I keep rambling incoherently and not making my sentences make sense. But how are you doing? We're in the middle of Film Fest. It's going on. This is day, it started Wednesday and it's Friday. So this is the third day of the Film Festival. And if you have time, if you can break away from your busy schedule, there's a lot of cool things going on. I am excited about one particular documentary that's going to be shown here on Sunday. It's called Best of Enemies. And it's a documentary about the infamous infamous debate that occurred in 1968 on live television with Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley Jr. Now you might be saying, who are these people? Let me tell you how I was introduced to Gore Vidal. A friend of mine said, hey, if you want to see a weird movie, check out Gore Vidal's movie, Mira Breckenridge. So I went on YouTube and I googled Mira Breckenridge. And it is definitely one of the weirdest, oddest, but hilarious at the same time pieces of cinema I've, I've ever seen. And at the time it came out in 1968, he wrote the uh, screenplay. And it was a novel originally that he wrote. And it was very controversial because it had a lot of uh, feminist issues, transsexuality, and a lot of deviant sexual practices, all sorts of themes running through the film. And I'll let you watch it and you make your assumption. But it really, that was, that's one of the feathers in Gorbidal's cap he's a renowned author and a very well-spoken articulate person especially at the time during the 60s and this documentary that's showing at the film festival is about this debate that took place between he and William F. Buckley who was the founder of the National Review which uh, and the leader of the new conservative movement so you basically have these two opposing figures an uber liberal versus an uber republican and the interview is fascinating. I remember uh, watching, there's a documentary about Gore Vidal called The United States of Amnesia. You want to write that down if you want to chase that rabbit hole of Gore Vidal. And it's worth it because he's a fascinating character and worth the time to us uh, to research and learn more about him. Fascinating character. Anyway, this interview was very tumultuous and really uncomfortable at times. You can watch it on YouTube. You don't uh, have to necessarily see the documentary. But the interview of Gore Vidal is on YouTube, and it's really awkward. And they basically are almost come to fists. They, uh, you, can, you can almost see William Buckley wanting to jump out of his chair and literally punch Gore Vidal. He's so close. He turns red. It's fascinating. Anyway, the fact that they made a documentary about this particular debate from 1968 is just a credit to how intense and how amazing it was. So anyway, that is called Best of Enemies, and that documentary is on Sunday. So I'm going to go check that out, and I encourage all of you to go out there. And there's a lot of cool films. Is Mark Ruffalo's here? I thought I saw some picture of him. Anyway, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's one reason that it makes me thankful that. Uh, I do live on Nantucket, and there is cool stuff that goes on. I think out of all the fests that that are out here, I think Film Fest is definitely one of the coolest. I mean, 
who doesn't like movies and it brings all those people to the island although i have to say you do sort of feel a little bit alienated uh just because you see all these pictures and there's all these events going on and you're like well how did how did you get to go to that do you have to buy a pass do you have to do you have to be in the know it seems uh I don't know. Is it is it hard to become involved in that? Like, just I mean, you can go buy tickets, but all these parties and events that go on, you kind of have to be running with a certain circle of people to get invited to those parties. I don't know. Listen, I'm new out here, folks. I'm just trying to figure out. No one said, "Hey, Doug Cody from Inside the Whale, why don't you come to our Nantucket Film Festival opening soirée?" I got whale pants, or I can buy them. Well, come on. I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you how I see it. I don't know. I'm psyched that it's here. Maybe Mark Ruffalo would come on my podcast. Sit down with him. Hey, Mark, how you doing? I'm Doug. Welcome to my house. What do you think? Is this Hollywood enough for you, Mark? I wouldn't say that. He seems like a pretty cool guy. Anyway, it's cool. Film Festival is here. Get out there and see some movies. Onward and upward, my guest today. This is an exclusive interview. I'm calling it exclusive because... Greg Margolis, who is the executive chef and part of the Nantucket Culinary Center, the new Nantucket Culinary Center that will open this fall, hasn't spoken too much. There's not a lot of press about it. So people, there's been a lot of rumors and rumblings about what exactly is going on downtown with the Culinary Center. And Greg chose to sit down with me and speak pretty in-depth about the details uh, of how this business is going to go down and what it's going to do and provide for the community. So I was really excited that he took the time to come here and sit down and talk. What an interesting guy. And another interesting fact was that Greg and his family also, we you'll hear in the interview that we'd start talking about one of the housing situation that he and his family had to experience while living out here. And it really is indicative of the plight of the housing crunch out here. These people, like Greg, trying to make their way out here and have trouble finding housing, can't afford housing. And he gets into exactly what happened in his situation. And it really sheds a little light on how severe the situation is out here. And you're going to hear that. So take a listen, guys. Greg Margolis, great guest, good man. Take a listen. Let, let's get to the interview, guys, and enjoy some of those films, and uh, I'll talk to you after the interview. Here we go. Guys, now he might win. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises. <laughs> Right. I did recently just uh, when we were off island speaking about Sonos, so I have more availability to listen to things in my home. It, they kind of work if you were just um, you know cooking or something, and you needed to put on the background and listen to. It. I find a lot of people that I like. Just, I'm just NPR, whatever the programming is. Right. Well, it's a big. There was uh, Mark Marin, the comedian, just had Barack Obama on his podcast, did he? and I feel like that's a huge jump. It's it's a big deal. It just aired. I was just listening to it before you came. 
and just the fact I'm, I'm aware of his podcast and I've, I've i've often hoped to listen to it but never have yeah and i think a lot of people find that with podcasts <laughs> you know like i know about him but i don't really listen to him well, so. you, just, you know you need to have the the technology right there so whether you're downloading onto your phone or your computer and having it around something easy to play it with and that's yeah. why i bought that sonos i was tired of listening to my crappy laptop speaker right the sonos i have the sonos bar here and do you love it I love it. I'm just I, getting. I just plugged it in yesterday, so I'm I learning about it. I absolutely love it. I play uh, playlist from my phone because mm-hmm. you can use your phone. Yeah, it, it's perfect. It I makes, just don't have playlists on my phone, but we're getting there. Yeah. So anyway, Barack Obama was on this podcast, and I felt like that was a huge jump for the, not only the medium, just the fact that like, and Mark Marin does the podcast from his garage. Yeah, and he has for a while. He has for a long time. So Barack Obama shows up to his garage, <laughs> this tiny little garage, you know, and I think that. That format and the and the, it's basically long form conversation interview really is what the if you had to nail it down. Uh, yeah, again, I haven't. I'm aware of his podcast. I'm aware of his TV show, and I'm and, aware of uh, his comedy. But, but you've never listened to Inside the Whale either. No, <laughs> <laughs> I admit I've seen it. It's been on my like my long list of things to do, but my yeah, short list is like is even people. longer. Well, you know, like like well, a you lot interviewed of interesting people, and I, I ran into a guy who you interviewed the other day who was speaking the world of you. It's, nice, um, Nim Nimfro Nimfro Jonathan Nimfro. Thank yes, you. Yes, I know it's tough to pronounce his name. I didn't even Jonathan's try. great. The Slurpee Wave. Yeah, he came into my bar and we chatted it up for a while. Oh yeah, he's uh, he was a great guest, and so I think you know the the whole point of my doing the podcast was now that I live out here, I didn't really know what to do because I'm not a carpenter or electric. You know what I mean? Like, what are my <laughs> trades? I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> I know it's only a few a few uh, few months, and I'll be banging nails. Do you have uh, do you have people subscribing to your podcast or listening? Do you have a way of tracking who gets to hear? I it? do right now. I just SoundCloud is the platform that I um use but i've seen it just from you linking it on facebook yeah and you know social media is probably the best way to just get stuff out there does inside the whale have its own social media yep it has a facebook page i have a twitter for it um i have a gmail account set up but like anything i think you know for me it's about consistency you have to just keep doing it and picking interesting people that have interesting stories obviously well, you, I, I appreciate being picked as an interesting yeah person. well you, you uh and what episode number am i you're at this is 13 Thir- lucky 13 lucky 13 nice. yeah so, um, I don't know. I just felt like, you know, your new occupation out here. Um, but we can get into that. We won't start there. Let's start, way, start ba- like. way, way back when you first arrived here. 11 years ago. From where? Uh, we, I, I moved here directly from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And were you cooking, chefing out there? Yeah, I was. What was I doing out there when I left there? I think I was running a raw bar. But I was looking for a change. Um, my wife, Joy, and I were... Um, she and I got together before coming out here. We moved to Colorado together. We broke up, and we were apart for, I don't know, several years while I was in Colorado. She lived in Brooklyn. And but you guys kept in touch? Uh, not for the first couple of years. the first year or so. So you had to reconnect? Yeah, we had to reconnect. We had to reconnect at how, a... Uh, how long... What was the span? Two years? We were three years apart. We with, were, with no communication? No, the no communication was a year or so, and then it was bad communication, and then it grew into better communication. Who was the uh, person that made Instigated. it? We, we, we saw each other at a, 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 a mutual friend's wedding. So we had friends from Colorado who moved huh. to Vermont and got married a year later, and we were both at the wedding. And I, I realized that I was a moron, and I should try to get back together with her, and I had to jump through a lot and of so hoops. You got, so you, did you have to ask for the number again? Um, <laughs> I don't know if the phone number's ever changed. It probably did. I don't know. I, I wrote letters for a long time, and she was actually on Nantucket. When, when she and I first 
saw each other again that year. She's she spent on Nantucket the summertime. Um, this is before I'd ever been here, but she had a, a job working for a family out of New York that brought her to uh, to Nantucket for the summer, and I wrote her a lot of letters, and you know courted her for a while. Old school. Yeah, I like that hand. Hand, handwritten pen, letters and pictures and pen, all that kind of stuff. Pen to the paper. Yeah. Um, and then we decided to we decided to get back together. She wasn't going to come back to Colorado, and I wasn't going to move to Brooklyn. And I had a job opportunity out here. My college roommate was cooking at the Wall Winnet, and he was giving up his job. And I I flew out here and interviewed for his job, and I was offered it. And at the time, it was a lot of money for me, and. They had a housing. It was a great opportunity. Enjoyed like Nantucket. So um, I moved out here from, from Colorado, which was, I think I, I blew an engine on the way and traded a pink slip for a ride to the airport to rent a car to to get to make it the rest of the way. <laughs> Where'd you live when you first got here? Uh, Quail Lane. Wow. Employee housing. We lived in employee housing, and then I realized in employee housing I wasn't allowed to have a girlfriend or a dog. That was policy for Walwyn employees? Yeah, it still is. I mean, it's employee housing. They don't let you bring... It's people who don't work for the company. They don't let you bring pets. And, right. uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the house. So I uh, Was it a party house? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't stay there very long. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, we wouldn't add online. We're looking for um, housing in exchange for personal chef work or a housing manager kind of thing. And Joy and I got a hit with a, a really great family. We lived with them for a couple of years. They had an employee house at the end of their driveway. So we shared the house with two of their uh, full-time maids. And we lived in the house for two years. Worked for them for two summers and were able to keep the house over the winter season as well. Nice. And it was a great way to get started on Nantucket. A lot of disposable income. Not spending anything on rent. You know, we, we touched on the housing problem earlier. It was not a problem when we first got here. Yeah. You know, and and we've been very fortunate, I guess, in all of our housing dilemma. We always worry about it, but always end up on top, which is always nice. Right. And then the housing dilemma was something that came up. And I think that it's Greg's, always coming. You know, it's, there's an ebb and flow to it. But I think your story is important for Nantucket people to understand because since I've been here and it hasn't been that long, it's only been five years, but I've seen a lot of couples that have uh, not been able to to find housing and, and, and ended up moving off island. And I think that, you know, you and Joy are a couple that, you know, are an example of a couple that it would be a bummer to lose people like yourselves because of a housing situation because well, we've never families can't afford to stay here or find housing. No one's so I, I guess for us, it was never an option that we would leave. So what take a, I just would like, that's people, actually not true. We left for a while. I'd like people to know about the, like the, the housing crunch that you went through your experience. Um, you know, I've gone through the housing crunch a few times but like I said we've always kind of worked it out um most recently it was probably the most difficult you know we were living in the same house for a couple of years and the landlord sold the house and didn't tell us until right at the beginning of the summer he had sold the house in December and told us in May wow and we had to be out in the end of August so that left a real bad taste in our mouth and it was the end of August and we could not find anything you know winter rentals weren't up yet and summer rentals were still going and year-round rentals weren't happening and we actually took a summer rental for the month of September, put our stuff in storage. After September, we found a winter rental we moved into for a few months while we did everything we could to find a summer rental. You know, with uh, with our new business opportunity on the on the horizon, we were moving off island was not an option. So you we knew you were going to stay. We had to stay. We've got a brand new business to open and all all sorts of things going on. Our kids are in school here. We're invested in the community. We never really looked at moving off island as an option and. And maybe that's part of why. But we I think were able it's to important successful. to get a sense of how 
difficult it was. It was you mean you just send I mean, out emails? We told emails. everybody that we knew. We put it on Facebook. We we talked about it constantly. We talked about it at church. We talked about it in the Jewish community. We talked about it in all of our all of our different communities. We we talked to the bank and we tried to see what we could do about buying a house. We applied for mortgages. We applied for Habitat for Humanity. We applied for Satchman's Path. We applied for everything we could possibly apply for. We took the first time home buyers course through um, Housing Nantucket so that we would be able to qualify for more. No, nothing helped. Why didn't Why didn't it help? No, well, we don't have the money, and the bank won't give us the money. The bank won't, so they're not. So this new housing project, Satchman's Path. Yeah, I, I have a bad taste in my mouth about Satchman's Path. I know, and that's I'll, why I'll, I want, I'll badmouth it for a minute if I, you let me. Well, I wanted to bring it up because I think your your opinion is an important view on one side of the argument. Well, we applied for Satchman's Path, and like I said, we've applied for everything. The Satchman's Path application, which is give it to my wife, she worked hours, endless hours on it was easily 90 pages of documents. We have our own small business. We had to put in three years of P&L. We had an incredible amount of, of application to, to give to them, to turn over to them. Um, and in the end, we were denied. And we were denied because we had too much, we, we, we've saved too much money. We, um, we haven't earned that much money for whatever reason, but we have savings. I have a little bit of inheritance that I got when my father passed away. Um, and Satchel Path wouldn't let us qualify because of the amount of money I have in the bank. Now, we have, I mean, without going into too much detail, we have enough to put a down payment on, on, a, on a cheap house, which is great. But we don't have enough to get a loan to p- cover the rest of it. And because we've saved enough money for a down payment, even with Satchel Path, where we could qualify for the loan, but we have too much assets. There you go. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't like, make we, any we've sense. managed to save enough money to put a down payment on a house awesome for us right it's really difficult to do but we've done that and um and because of that we don't qualify for affordable housing yeah so you shoot yourself in the foot by trying to do the right thing it's sort of that is uh i mean we had a great experience with um the habitat people we qualified for that and we made it to the final drawing we just found out we did not get the habitat house so you just found that out yeah we didn't get it they they drove last thursday it's you know they put the name in the hat which is fair they used to just pick a people they don't do that anymore. Now they, you know, they have the application process and they do home visits and they call out all the people who might not be, you know, suitable to get it and and then they put the rest in a hat. See, these are these are some of the issues that I think uh, Habitat was great. You know, the Habitat used to just pick people and it became kind of unfair. You know, it's a judgment thing and whereas if everyone's qualified then fine, put put 10 names in a hat. Yeah, I, I d- I feel From like what I understand, the, the other family, the guys who got it, are, are equally deserving and in need of home. Oh, I'm so. sure. You know, I just think that there's there's a lot of people in situations like yourself, and there needs yeah. to me. There seems to need to be some sort of. Um, it, it would come in. I think it would come to play in where the mortgage they banks for families um, of a certain income. They could they could maybe bend it for. No one's going to bend the mortgage laws anymore. Not after what happened in 2008. And I, I understand that. I mean, we yeah. we were offered mortgages up the wazoo in 2008, and we felt it would be irresponsible because we didn't have the money at the time and didn't have right. the income. And it was, they're like, well, just say this and say that, and we'll give you a mortgage. That doesn't sound right. But in retrospect, maybe we should have. I, I don't know. Yeah, I just wish that there was something out there that could support that people like yourself who are business, who are you know, starting what, a what business. It, what it seems to be in, in, in Nantucket, you know, the... A lot of people have a lot of different opinions, I guess. But the the one of the more popular ones, one of the ones you read occasionally, is the um, and the thing that makes us very different than like the Vineyard, for example, which is another island with limited resources as far as land and, and property, is the um, 
the the land bank, I guess. So they take the two percent or one percent out of every mortgage sale, and they use that to buy up land that can never be built on. So as a result of that, Nantucket is excruciating. It's just so beautiful. You know, it's so awesome. There's right. so much open space, and it would be hard to give up on that. You know, but because of the amount of open space that can't be built on, it magnifies the expense. You know, the value of all the land that can be built on. If you look now for you know buildable land, it's almost nothing. You know, if you keep if you pay attention to that kind of thing, but still, all this money goes into that, and land bank is buying up still any available land to prevent people from building on it. Yeah. So it seems like Nantucket's done a great job of preserving open space, and and it's hard to take anything away from them for that. But it seems like maybe some of that money could now be put into finding housing for deserving families. But it's a different right. thing. Well, you it's said the word deserving families, and that's where I think it could get a little dicey and super political. Super dicey. And, 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 and that's and what political. Thatcher's path is. You know, they're trying to make sure that they called out all the people who don't deserve the housing, and I got called out for that. So Yeah, I, I think you have a legitimate I, – I will say I think you do have a legitimate gripe. I think that, that it's a little – Sure, but you know what? If there's some, a similar family to me and the guy hasn't been able to save money because he's struggling and struggling more than me and – Right. I don't want to take that away from somebody else. No, I'm I know. that I can't afford a house in the place that I live and the, where my children are being raised and where my family is and where I got married and where my children are So you're are born. renting right now. Hmm? I think yeah, we found you, a great if, place. If you stay persistent enough, we'll find and something. I think like any community, you know, Nantucket is probably no, it's who you know. And if someone has an opportunity or something pops up, you're just going to have to probably watch the radar really close. We do. We do. But, you know, it's easy for us because we just look at the cheapest thing on the market. Right. You know, there's not we're not buying a million-dollar house. Yeah. So. And it's so, I guess, and you have two kids in the school here. Yeah. Your kids are how old? Max and? Uh, six and four, Max and Zella. So, yeah, I just think that that uh, scenario is, uh, you know, there's other people that I'm sure are in that situation, too. You know, you know, and what we choose to spend our money on, too. I mean, we send our kids to the Lighthouse School, and that's a huge expense for us, And but it's really important to me. It's really important to my wife. You know, I think early childhood education is incredibly important, so. Oh, my God, I got to start saving. <laughs> <laughs> you do have a, you have a kid. You know? I, I know. And, she's and you're gonna... already, it's already costing you money because you guys both work and because you've got somebody who helps you so you can both work. I mean, we were really fortunate. I had a great job when, when Max was born and when Zella was born, and we managed to keep Joy home with a child, and she was okay with that. And, you know, for a few years, she didn't work, and she, you know, birthed and raised children, and that was awesome. Yeah. And the I think that, the, you know, keeping your children, I do think that the Nantucket, I was here, this is my first, uh, I did the first winter here, and mm-hmm. I it, I really got a sense for the community of Nantucket. It's awesome. It really is. It uh, is a really tight knit community, and it kind of dissipates at this time of year, though I feel. Yeah, nobody sees it <laughs> no in the summertime. I mean, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be any busier. Right. I, I thought know. last summer I was the busiest guy on the island. This year, I'm, I'm, you know, trumping that for sure. Right. So your cooking experience, you were cooking out there. Out there, being in Cal- in Colorado. In Cal- you know, and I went to I went to culinary school, and I graduated. Where did you go to culinary school? Uh, CIA Culinary Institute of America, which is Hyde Park, New York. Uh huh. So um, there's one in Manhattan too, isn't there? There's, there's culinary yeah. schools, and you know you can't. But the you can't CIA throw around. is there's one. no CIA is 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 in New York. It's in it is Poughkeepsie. okay. It's uh, Hyde Park, just north of Poughkeepsie on the Hudson River. Gotcha. Uh, they have a few more campuses now. They have one in uh, in California, Greystone, uh, in the northern Napa Valley, and now they also have one in San Antonio, I believe. And so they got something going on in Singapore too. How long of a program was it? 
Uh, I went for, I have a four-year degree. I have a bachelor's in uh, professional studies, is what it is, a BPS. They offer a, uh, an associate's degree, and then you can stay on for a bachelor's. The more popular is the associate's degree, and that's either in culinary arts or pastry and baking arts. So you go through that program, and if you want to, you can apply and stay on for the, the additional. And it's not a traditional college. You know, it's 21 months for the associate's degree with, you know, two weeks off twice a year. Um, it's very business oriented. It's very, you know, the classes start at 7 a.m. and they end at 2 and it's five days a week. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, you're taking classes here and there. It's not a very traditional college experience. It's much more of a, a work experience, I get. Um, the bachelor's program was another, it was another 16 months, something like that. And, and again, it was a little bit more of a traditional liberal arts thing. You know, to be an accredited school, you have to take languages and you know you have to take business and econ and stuff like that all very targeted towards the restaurant business so so our economics class was taught by a guy who owned 12 restaurants well there you go so that's going to come into play right now yeah yeah everything's <laughs> coming to play my education was great i'm super pleased with it and i think like anything you get out what you put in i certainly worked with people who graduated from culinary which is you know what we call the cia just culinary but yeah you know, i wish i could say the same i was a history major <laughs> i don't know if like that applies i wish i could put it together i mean it was i had a great experience i went to gettysburg but it was just a uh, you know I, I in my what i do now it's pretty uh, sure irre- a good irre- i don't know my parents are both educators so i was brought up to believe that a good liberal arts education is is worth its weight you know it's you're an educated person you, know, you can speak better and you can read and you know you, you can you, articulate yourself but correct. here's here's what i think and i just had this conversation uh with a woman that uh, was sending her kid to college i was on a walk and i just bumped in we ended up talking about college and she asked me where I went, and we started talking about liberal arts colleges, and I was saying that I don't think nowadays the way the job market is and how specific the, the fields are, that a liberal arts education it's of, worthless. is worthless. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, That's I, what I feel now. I'm I the really youngest do. of five boys, right? Yeah. Of oh, the, really? Of the five boys, three of them went Ivy League, and two are technical colleges, so... Of the two, didn't graduate, but I've got a brother at Harvard, a brother went to Brown, a brother went to Columbia, and then my other brother went to Savannah College of Art and Design, and I went to culinary school. So Savannah College of Art and Design graduated and went on to a couple of technical courses and additional stuff through like Lincoln Tech, some of these commercial. He went to Lincoln Tech. He took an uh, an eighteen month course in CAD design or something at Lincoln Tech. I always saw those commercials, Lincoln Tech. I mean, he already had a degree, um, or almost a degree. I forget whether he actually graduated from SCAD or not. But he's incredibly well employed. He does great. You know, he does. I don't know if he loves his work, but I know that he gets a solid paycheck and he works for a big con- company that subs out for like Halliburton and stuff like that. He does. He does CAD tech work for uh, oil and gas industry. Wow. So he's been doing very, very well. It's he, funny. I always kind of laughed at the ITT tech because it was. I thought it was like muffler repair or something. That, it might not. I don't know which one it was, <laughs> but he took a specific course to learn well, AutoCAD there you go. 13. I mean, and he it, learned CAD design, and he is absolutely, you know, worth a hundred bucks an hour anywhere he goes. Yeah, well, that. And that, then I, you know, and I went to culinary school, and I, you know, I, I'm not a captain of industry, at least not quite yet, but I'm getting closer. But I've always had work. I've never had any issues. I've never had to go and beg for money. But you know, the the poli sci major at Harvard, the uh, communications major at Brown, the econ major at Columbia, those guys never worked in their industry. I've never done anything really <laughs> worthwhile, in my opinion. Well, uh, well hopefully they, well, they, but, might, you know, they I, might argue that. But uh, I mean, no, I, they, they, they would have a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I, I find the same. I find the same thing. I find that. Uh, I but just, learning learning a skill is much more valuable, especially living on Nantucket. I think you see it because 
the guys that I know out here in the local community who, who kind of do the best are the the HVAC guy, the plumber, the plumber, the builder, the, the guy the who has a, you know, even though even if they're in the office more than actually building, these guys are tradesmen. And out here in the local population, it's, it's the tradesmen who are doing the best, have the nice house, have the pool, go on vacation in August and get away for a little while, you know? Yeah, Nantucket is a little bit of a bubble in that respect. I mean, different communities. It's our bubble, though. Yeah, it is. It is our bubble. But I'm, I, I would equate that to like a builder in Ohio who has a building company. I mean, the scale is just yeah, like, who day. wants to live in Ohio? <laughs> I have friends in Ohio, but I'm it's... sorry. No, that's all right. I, <laughs> I understand that sentiment. Um, but I, I just think that, you know... I just think that learning a skill, and I hope, as I'm sure you'll start to feel soon, that we have young children, and the way higher education is going, it's going to cost you a quarter million dollars to send yeah. your daughter to college. And that's, like, at an okay, decent college. You know, you're looking at $50,000 a year, it's at like, least, and plus board, plus room, plus expenses. So I really hope that in the near future, and by near future, I mean in the next 12 years before my son's looking at college... That the the tradition of higher education in the states really changes. Well, this is what I, I I actually think that depending on what you get into, kids that are graduating. I have a nephew that's graduating; they're going to college, and I think that that job markets are so specific now. If you're a uh, if you learn web design, like you can teach yourself these skills that are super marketable, and kids are doing it as early as like fifth grade or sixth grade kids are just some kids are into computers i don't i'm just picking computer science as a as an industry as a whole sure robotics Ro- the kind any, of thing that- any of those fields i think the opportunity is there for kids to not if they have the drive to you don't necessarily need that college education well you would at some extent i guess if you went to a, a technical school it would help but i guess my point is that certain th- there's enough opportunity out there that for some kids i don't know if going to college they might be better off doing something different I something don't... specific you know i wouldn't mind if, exactly. if it came back to more of an apprenticeship system i mean i, I came up in an industry where you know there's still an, a heated debate on whether if you want to be a chef in this country going to culinary school is worthwhile or not for the amount of money you spend for the amount of debt you incur would you be better off just going and working for low at low paying jobs you can get a job at the best restaurants in the country if you're eager and you try hard and you don't care how much you get paid. So either you're going to college and going into debt, or maybe you could go to San Francisco or Chicago or Louisiana or one of these real epicenters of food in America, go to the best restaurant, knock on the door, and, and, and work your tail off for them. They're all, they're all going to let you in the door, especially if you agree to the minimum wage. <laughs> so if you're working minimum wage and, and you know just subside, you know just enough to take care of yourself and you've got no expenses after four years of that you're not going to be 100 grand in debt well you mentioned the debt thing and uh bill cosby spoke at my graduation Mm -hmm. and which is that we won't get into the bill cosby thing but i I, I grew up in philadelphia bill cosby is uh, (laughs) you know we we drove past his mom's house every day one of his uh (laughs) one of his things was pay off your college debt and because you know these kids now and think about nowadays if you have a hundred and twenty thousand dollar i was given an incredible gift from my father of graduating college without With much it, debt oh. I, I he he gave me enough to pay for the tuition and to pay for my rent and civil stuff and I took out a couple of Stafford loans just to party to have extra money and so I didn't have to work um, and I was graduated from college with like you know eight grand in debt I had to do like a, a $40 payment every month or a $60 payment for 10 years whatever it was it was not much but the kid next to me graduated with a full the full ride debt which was 
hundred and twenty thousand dollars, whatever it was, eighty thousand dollars. I don't remember. Alone. But I remember that we were in line next to each other, going to the bursar's office right before graduation, and you get your little thing that says you owe sixty dollars a month for the next ten years. You have six months to either start paying it off or to start going back to school. And his was like three hundred and eighty dollars a month. And to make that nut, he has forced into decisions about where he would work and what he would do after college. Because I didn't have that, I was able to travel. I, I always wanted to live in Colorado, so after graduation, I moved to Colorado. I took a job at a restaurant that I liked with people that I liked doing what I wanted for not too much money, but I didn't need it. You I had did, that luxury. I didn't have a $400 a month debt that I had to pay off. You know, I had, I had my rent, I had my expenses, but I didn't. That, that extra bit forced him to go you know, to a corporate hotel training program, and to this day, he still works at the same company. You yeah, know, that's and interesting, and, and there you go. That that I, I was just thinking, um, I was hit by a car when I was four years old, and there was a settlement, <laughs> so that paid for my college. <laughs> so I had to get hit by a car to pay for college. But <laughs> if you had to do over again, you'd get hit by the car. I'd again, probably I'm take sure. the car again because yeah. I didn't have when I got out of college. I didn't have that debt. It enabled me to move to New York City and to get make an choices apartment. that were more to your heart, less to your pocket. You exactly, know? and I got that's enabled me to become a musician and not make any money. And do a podcast. But yeah, I I was fortunate enough, but that's what happened. I got hit by a car and there was a settlement and it paid for my college. So going out there and, you know, I guess back to the liberal arts thing. I just don't personally right now, I don't know if a liberal arts education is is applicable. For sure. But I'd much rather go out to dinner with somebody who's had a liberal arts education than somebody who's had... Not had one, I guess. I don't, I know. don't know. That's judgmental. I, you, I don't think that you... That is judgmental, and that is definitely... So you're saying, I mean, you, you might... You can't. There, there are plenty of plumbers out there who are well-read and interesting people. So Greg won't go out to eat with a plumber. I, I love plumbers. <laughs> I'll go out to eat with any plumber. But uh, you know, it's just... No, I see. I, I understand what you're... I don't know. I, I grew up in, in the Northeast. I have I that, that, uh, that... Elitism. Elitism. I you agree know? with you. I, I have I think it that too. people with a Southern accent sound stupid, and they think that I sound, you know, elite. And it's just how it is. Yeah. I, I try to shake it. And I've met plenty of people from the South with, uh, there you, is, know, you know, aren't. you just touched on something. There is sort of a Northeast elitism. It's just college educated white, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, where you, you're going to talk yourself into a hole on that one. Uh, yeah. But that's kind of what it is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But uh, I, but, mean, well, I mean, what's Nantucket? My parents were educators <laughs> and in my house growing up, what was your dad? I mean, he was a school teacher when when he was younger. By the time I was in his life, he was no longer a school teacher; he was a salesman. Oh, okay. Um, but my mother was a teacher. They just in know, Philly. Yeah, outside of Philadelphia. so that's where you grew up in Philadelphia. Suburb of Philadelphia. Yep. What suburb? Um, I went to Abington High School. Is that like Mainline? No, it's it's not that far off though. It's all it's all relatively close. Gotcha. Okay. It's northeast Philadelphia. Okay. And then you. Uh, and then went to college. Went to college in Hudson Valley, New York, and moved to Colorado and skied every day in the wintertime. Where were you in Colorado again? Steamboat Springs. Oh, nice. It was great. And then I moved to Nantucket for five years. I got married. My son was born. My wife got pregnant again, and we got scared that we couldn't afford Nantucket. And while she was pregnant with uh, with our second child, with my daughter, we, we moved back to Colorado. I think that's right when I got here, because I remember meeting you, and then you had left... We left for two years. Two years. Yeah, we were so we've been here nine out of the last eleven years. I think that's interesting. So, what, when you got when you left Nantucket that first time, was it? What was that feeling like? Just a, the worst decision we'd ever made. We were just on, we were on the ferry, just crying. Really? Yeah. We left all our friends. You know, there's there's a couple times in your life where you make great friends. You know, you make great friends when you're growing up. You make another set of friends in college, and 
And then um, you're in that period of your life where you're, your kids are being born or you're getting married and you have people around you who share that really intimate and wonderful time with you, you know, and then once you, if you were to leave that situation and try to make new friends all over again, now you're an adult with kids and you're busy, you know, and you don't really have the time. And, you know, I, I think that the, the friends we made when we were getting married and when we were kids are being born and my wife who worked with other women in childbirth had a chance to be a, a part of those relationships. Um, it's just a really, really intimate time to make friends and so to pick up and move it's just it's incredible it's very difficult we moved we chose to move back to Colorado because my brother was there and his wife and we had some some family connections that knew some people and and it turned out to just be a a bad decision what was that what was the job out there that you went oh it's it's always the same it's just restaurant stuff it was it wasn't a job that I went out there for we went out there because we wanted to leave here and be somewhere else or thought we did and then when you got there you realized what you had we realized we made a mistake as soon as we got on the boat wow but, you know, we were committed to it. I had a, I had taken a job out there, and, you know, we had hopes. We went out. We went back to the same town that we lived in when, when I was a single guy, and I partied all the time, and <laughs> all my friends are still there doing the exact same thing. It would have been, We would have been better to move to anywhere except a place that we had history, whereas we made the decision to go to a place that we had history because we thought it would be easier, but in, in, it was just harder. So that day that you packed up and knew you were coming back to Nantucket, tell me about it. It wasn't that easy. Oh, really? No, I mean, we moved to we moved to Colorado. I took a job, but I was able to get over the phone. The job wasn't great. What was it? Uh, I was um, outlet manager for a hotel. I was in charge of a few different uh, food and beverage outlets within the hotel. I would have been just underneath the uh, food and beverage director gotcha. of a relatively large property, 300-room hotel. Mm-hmm. Doing in-service, like in-room dining, doing the restaurant, the breakfast, and then a little cafe and poolside and... It was just a horrible place to work. Um, and after about six months there, there was a new restaurant opening up that uh, that poached me, and I went and worked for them for a while. And All the just, while missing Nantucket? Sure. I mean, I, I was still skiing and living in Colorado, and it was awesome, you know, but we're missing our friends and missing our family and dealing with, um, you know, friends that we were kind of forced into because I was friendly with them before. Mm-hmm. I think as soon as we got there, I set up a... Uh, like a play date for my son and my wife to go over with one of my other girlfriends that I had known out there had a, had a kid, two of them had kids since we were gone. So a play date and she went to hang out with them and you know, they're, they're doing shots of rumplements and, and bong hits in the laundry room while the kids are playing in the living room. And Joy came home. He's like, that is not what I'm looking for. Yeah. They haven't sort of they just moved, haven't grown up. They haven't grown up. No. Well, Colorado sort of is, is no, I, I lived in Vail yeah. and there was a million of those. Yeah. It's the same thing. If you went back now to visit Vale, it wouldn't have changed. Two out of ten maybe grew up. You know, I had this, once I lived out there, I lived in Edwards, but mm-hmm. I was in Vale. I, this was my uh, summary of everyone out there was sort of running from something. All the people that I came in contact with, I worked in a restaurant. I worked at Cordillera. There were a lot of people that worked out there. And sure, I know people, people worked there. Yeah, they, they all kind of were running. Everyone had a little bit of a story of something they were leaving behind on the East Coast or wherever they came from. They were all running from something. I mean, I went out there right after college and it was awesome. And I highly recommend it to anybody. I've had the uh, chances to work with lots of young kids through um, internship programs when I was at the Wild Winnet. And just even right now, the summer restaurant work that I do, you know, you're surrounded by 20-year-old kids just about to graduate from college. I tell them all, if you like to ski move to Colorado yeah go there get a ski pass for a couple years have some fun is the housing an issue out there too not as bad not as bad it's an island you can always go down valley a little bit yeah I guess you're right you know yeah oh yeah you want to live right on the mountain maybe it's an issue 
But you can always live down the way. Yeah. Go 20 minutes away, you know, and wait for something to show up. But Nantucket doesn't have that option. No, and it keeps shrinking. It does. So you were, when did you start catering? Now, Greg is a guy that every time he uh, sh- he's at a barbecue or he's cooking, you're always psyched because you know the food's going to be incredible. <laughs> well, thanks. You definitely uh, know what you're doing, clearly. I started the catering company, the little my little... My little dinner parties business, which is personal chef and small batch catering, I guess. Although I, I stole the term small batch catering, but I really like it. Um, just smaller events. You know, when I when I came back, so we left, we went to Colorado. After we got to Colorado in February, we finished off that winter, another full summer season, another full winter. My daughter was born at the, in September, right at the beginning of the winter. And we got like, I don't know, 400, 500 inches of snow that winter. And wow. it was just, it was so much snow. Huge. Yeah. And if you're not, if you don't love the snow, if you don't see the snow and get like, wow, it's snowing excited, Super psyched, yeah, then right. living in high country Colorado is not for you. And my wife did not love it. And she had a hard time and her mom was sick and wanted to be closer to her parents, which is part of the reasons that we originally decided to move from Nantucket because we couldn't have been further away from her family in Washington state. Um, so after that, that winter, and it was just brutal. We decided that Colorado, she didn't want to do another winter in Colorado. She made that clear. So we moved. We decided to pack up again. Actually, you know, that summer, that's funny. That summer after after that horrible winter, I had a, I had a solid job. The, sol- the job was very winter oriented. And I, I told the employer that we weren't going to stay for another winter. And he said, well, if you're not going to stay for another winter, he didn't really paying me over the summer. So we actually came back to Nantucket just for the summer. We left our stuff out in Colorado and storage and... Um, our do- my daughter was born in September, so this would have been, you know, the, the, the following spring. We came back to Nantucket, and we worked for or I, my wife. What you, I did? I guess she still worked for Julie, and I worked for uh, for Sam at the farm. I was a farmhand. At Morrison. Yeah. Oh. He had. Um, we had been in touch with those guys, and one of the one of the two guys, I think Evan. He's got the same two guys work for him every year. One of them got hit by a car, and he was desperately in need of help. So I told them we'd sure. come out there and help, and they were able to let us stay in the um, in in the middle brick. So we stayed. We were, you know, the mushroom guys were there too, and we. Is that where a- the Hajars live now? The same, yeah, that exactly. same house. Yeah, so we lived there for that summer, which was. We awesome. should talk about that house. I love that house. So the middle brick house, they have an original, and Mike Hajar showed me uh, Hemingway. There's a book that's signed by Hemingway. Yeah, there. the maps. Now the place is full of priceless artifacts, but. You know, I just they've gotten rid of most of the real fancy stuff is in storage somewhere. It's my but just walking in that house, you feel it. Mm-hmm. There's an energy in that house, that front room, you feel it. There's some major ghost energy on For there. Sure. Did you guys ever see ghosts? I, I, I'm not very attuned to that. My wife would answer differently. I'm sure. I don't know, man. I I don't think I, I'm not like attuned to ghosts, but I just noticed that when I went in. That house, house has a great spirit it about ha- it. it has. I don't feel it as a haunting thing. Well, no, I, I don't mean haunting in a bad sense. I meant that there's some energy there for sure. I felt it. Even. It was a great, it was a great summer, and we lived there for the summer. And the idea we'd go and spend the summer there, and then we were gonna, then we moved out to Washington State. And Joy's mother had early onset uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, and we helped prepare them for her to move to a home and helped clean out the house, and we had some time to help out the kind of thing that you know eventually down the road when her parents pass away we won't have the time i hope pardon me wow so we went out there and we spent six months with her mom and dad and that was kind of 
awesome time, I guess. I mean, it was really difficult for her, but I enjoyed it. You know, it was, they live in a really beautiful part of Washington State. I was able to ski a little bit. I skied like one or two days a week out there for the whole winter. We um, spent a lot of time with their parents. We got the house organized. The kids enjoyed some time with their grandparents. And, right. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then we moved from there to California where my brother was living and he had some some business development stuff and we went and helped him out and which school is this brother <laughs> this is columbia this is columbia yeah, all right i'm just trying to brother. pin the pin the he never uh, finished columbia but he did all right he he married a, a, a into a wonderful family and was able to keep himself busy helping helping them he was his uh his wife had two children from previous relationship and she was a widower and uh he moved in and, and became part of that family now where is this in, this is la um, they split their time, but when we went to spend time with them um, this time in the in the spring, they were in uh, kind of outside of Merced, California, a place called Planeta, and it's uh, northern San Joaquin Valley. They they lived on a uh, a, a huge cattle ranch, so they, and they had extra housing. And, and so you moved there. We moved there. See, the, this is why I think that your story is interesting because you've been to so many different places, but ultimately ended up coming back to Nantucket. Yeah. Well, you know, we were we were there, and we were very close to. Setting up camp out there. My, my brother and his stepsons were in the process of, uh, so this would have been right during the recession. And they had 2008. something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we left here right when the recession started. So a year or two into it, we're in California. And my brother's stepsons have had a great deal of money. You know, they were left a great deal of money and they needed to do something with it. And he helped them get into buying real estate. So they're buying these crappy apartment buildings and kicking out the drug dealers and, Flip. you know. Flipping them? No, no, they're renting them. Oh, renting? Yeah, okay, Yeah, buying gotcha. like, like 20, 30, 40 unit apartment buildings. Fix them up and rent fix them out. Fix them up and rent them out. You know, kick out the people and fix up the apartments one at a time. And this is what he was doing full time. And, you know. So they're, they were gentrifying? Not really. No, is that is that a broad well, stroke? When I think of gentrifying, I think of taking things and making it too expensive for people. Oh, okay. So it wasn't becoming too expensive, but he's like. You're getting rid of the the crack dealers and letting the pot dealers move in. I guess I don't. I don't. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of a gentrification. Gotcha. You know, the, the apartments are all. It's all still welfare. It's all still, you know, very very cheap housing. Um, so you were you were you were involved in that. So we were helping them out. There, I mean, they were. It has nothing to do with culinary. <laughs> no, I but was cooking bit, every night though. But, but and bit, I was living in California where the food is awesome and yeah. you know lots of fresh and great stuff. And you know, it was my my brother took care of us. My brother and his wife and their family sure took care of us and allowed us to not have to work and to reassess our situation. We were we were really in limbo and had a lot of difficult times. And Joy had a tough time being with her mom while her mom was, you know. Alzheimer's is tough. My grandfather had and it. her father is a stubborn mule. And it was very difficult, you know, for, for her and for them. and Probably for so, you, too. <laughs> you know, my, I, my, I was focused really on my kids and making sure that everyone stayed healthy and happy and yeah, you're a pretty laid back guy. You don't seem like yeah. you're. Yeah, and I wasn't working. I didn't in Washington. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't have a, a job as much as I, you know, I reorganized the house and kept busy every day. And we, you know, we went through forty years of an attic and you know got rid of everything and sorted everything. And mm. we kept busy for the six months that we were there and a lot of walks up the canyon. She lived in this beautiful spot and a lot of time with the family. It was a really awesome time. Then we went to California and I helped my brother out and but again, lots of wonderful time and. We were pretty much deciding on what we were going to do and stay in California and, and go into business with my brother and, you know, help him out. I have a lot of management experience and he had none and his kids had none. And they're trying to put together, you know, a management office and they have all these employees now to, to do things and they don't know what they're doing. And they're firing people every other day and hiring more people. Is this and, present day? 
this was this, when we were in California. Oh, this, okay. Yeah, they were kind of. I mean, they have they have a very organized business now. Gotcha. But at the time, they were learning what they were doing, and you know, they could trust me, and that was helpful. And I have a lot of experience managing people, just from restaurants, and I don't know, management is management. Taking care of people is people. You know, whether they're cooks or carpenters, I think. Um, but so we were out there, and I w- a phone rang one day, and or I got an email. From somebody, so there's, you know, uh, some people in, in Nantucket are looking to open a restaurant, and they want to know if they could talk to you about running it for them. So I said, sure. You know, I'll, I'll talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, we didn't so. really know what was going on. And, and who it, was that? It was uh, Kathy Seidel and, and um, Carl Garber, Goldberg, who opened the, the Met on Main restaurant. So they were part of the, the Met restaurant group, and they had, I think, four stores already in the Boston area, and they were looking to expand to Nantucket. And we had a couple of good conversations on the phone, and... You know, in the end, so the I, Met on Main job brought you back. Correct. I turned the job down several times, and they just kept <laughs> kept encouraging me to come back to Nantucket. And you know, I, I gave them lots of things that I wouldn't come back to Nantucket unless you gave me A, B, C, and D. And they came through with you know A, B, and C, but maybe not D. And it just was a great opportunity to move back to the place that we loved. Did they help you get housing? They gave me they gave me money. Gotcha to help the housing. Yeah, they you know they they paid for us to relocate. They paid for me to move my family across country and. Um, and they were awesome. You know, they were, they were great. And they moved us back to Nantucket and I worked for them and got the restaurant opened. And shortly after the restaurant opened, it became clear to me and to them that just wasn't a good fit. You know, I worked my tail off for them and, and I worked really hard to make sure that we were still friendly. You know, I, I quit that job in August and I didn't leave till February. There you go. So, you know, we opened up at the end of June, and by August, I knew it wasn't the right fit. And they knew it wasn't the right fit. We sat down, and we had to talk. Those, and, they're like, it's like the relationships, you yeah. know, and you, well, you sounds like you left it like a pro. I tried. You know, yeah, you it's do. It's a small island, and you don't want it to is. burn bridges. Ooh, I know. And you it's know, only I, a matter you know, of time before I burn a bridge I was tempted to out walk here. out the door, but I, I wouldn't. They were, they were so good to me. Right. You know, I mean, despite, the, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. They never lied to me. They're never untruthful, and they always... You know, they sent me they sent me a check, you well, know, before I ever came out there and said, here you go. Come well, on. Let's to face it. The said, Nantucket okay. restaurant racket is tough. There's a reason there's five new restaurants every year. You know, I think that there's a lot right now. There's the Mid Island Atlas, mm-hmm. the Fish House, the Gray Lady. There are there's, five new restaurants almost every other year. You can you can you can count on it. And it's a it's a pretty fickle market it's a difficult market you're forced to do a whole year's worth of business in under 90 days you know i experienced that a little bit in just uh when i was managing the ice cream shop yeah. downtown just seeing that that window amplifies the amount of pressure and just like you said eight weeks it's insane but so after i left the met like i said we left there in february i took a job in the trades working for for dane who you know and he was he was getting back into carpentry and i have no skills but were friendly and I was happy to help and he taught me everything I needed to know and I worked for him for three years but when I left the Met so you're doing carpentry I had been I'm not right now yeah in the winters last three winters in a row yeah did you like it loved it it's great I suck at measuring it's not that hard (laughs) do it twice you get better at it the third time yeah measure twice cut once there you go yeah it's not you know, to be a great skilled carpenter, is, it takes years and years of dedication. There's a lot of To be of very really... helpful to a carpenter takes very, very little. You just have to say yes to everything. Yeah. Dane <laughs> has some back issues. I, I can carry, you know, I can carry shingles up a ladder. No problem. Right. He can stand at the top of the ladder. I'll keep bringing him shingles, you know, and that's very helpful. You know, that was always my attitude, too, when I was helping 
when I, whenever I was working, I was like, what can I do to make this person, whether I was landscaping, helping landscape or whether I was working nice, just be shop, helpful. I'm just, I'm just trying to make the person in charge life easier. There you they, go. You know, and, secret to success. And that, and, that and, and I knew that and yeah. I'm not problematic. And half of that out here is showing up on time. More than half. Out here. <laughs> um, but so when, when I left the mat, I went and worked for Dane and did carpentry and kind of did some, what, what are we going to do now? You know, I, I had the great money job and I just gave that up. And now, you know, we still have all the expenses of living on Nantucket. And, you know, when we came back there, it's like, great, we'll live on Nantucket again, but this time we'll be able to afford it. And then within a year, I gave up the job that allowed me to afford it. But I work with, um, you know, Jill Meridian? Jill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I work with Jill and she and I work together on, on what it is that I should be doing. And it was, you know, it's kind of that old question of what do you like to do? Like, I like to throw parties, I like to have dinner parties. And and therein my little business dinner parties was born. I spent a few hundred. And it's all dollars. word. You don't advertise. It's all word of mouth, or do you yeah. advertise? No, no, I don't advertise. I haven't advertised. Yeah, it's you word. Don't of, need it's to. word of mouth, and it's you know I and I donate to like charity things. Uh, you know, I, for like if somebody wants an auction item, I'm happy to do that, and that gets my name out there a little bit. I think you're at a point now too where people just well now where the business is about to grow exponentially into the Nantucket Culinary Center, which we can talk about. Sure, right. But um, but that's how the dinner party started. That's when I started catering. So that was, you know, two years ago, three years ago, something like that. And there's such a market for it out here, especially what you do because it's not large scale. It's really just correct. The big caterers don't want what I do, and I don't want what the big caterers do. You know, I want to do little parties. I want to do sub twenty people. I want to do it in your home with a with the right client. You know, when I first started doing it, I didn't turn down any clients, and now I'm able to start firing the clients I don't like and. And only work with the people that I do, and the business is developing into something that is really awesome. As far as the kind of work that I've been doing, I, I have a catering license off of a, a secondary license at one of the downtown restaurants, so it allows me to be legal and efficient. And it's great. But the and majority of the work I do is in people's homes. You know, from a business standpoint, word of mouth is the strongest thing, and it applies in any. Well, we're, we're working really hard now with. Uh, we actually have a marketing and brand image firm coming in um, that we're going to have on island this week to. Show them what we're doing, and we're going to work with these guys on the new business. But well, let's talk. Can we segue sure. into the new business? So, so you're out here. You you get your housing finally somewhat settled. Sure. And this business opportunity comes through through Remain, right? Sure. Remain, um, and just a you know a quick bit about Remain. Or at least what we're working through is Remain Ventures. Remain Ventures is a venture capital arm of of Remain Nantucket, which is a large nonprofit. And that's Wendy Schmidt is the head of that. Yeah, Wendy Schmidt is the the head of that. I the mean, it's 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 run by uh, Melissa Philbrick, okay, um, who does all the who we work with. I mean, we've met Wendy a few times, and I know that her input is incredibly valuable. Um, but we don't see her on the day to day. It's not like I'm working with Wendy um, at all, right? Um, but it's her. This was it's her. It's her brainchild. It's her idea. I know, it's her spirit. It's really done. The so Remain Ventures they they buy up in town. I mean, Re- Remain Nantucket gives lots of money, and they do lots of great stuff, and every everybody's really yeah, benefits the music from center the music centers remain ventures so the music center the bakery the um the hub the transportation hub are, are pieces of the property which remain ventures is purchased repurposed for community based things i guess would be the best way to talk about it um they find properties that would otherwise become another gallery another jewelry store you know i think mitchell's book corner is, is one of the best examples of it is that um it, it became time for the, the the owner of the building to sell the building, and it would never have remained a bookstore. It's great, and that and that is but, worth its but weight. Wendy bought the building, 
dumped you know however much money into the renovation to make the building completely lead certified and and wonderful and was able to maintain a bookstore there which it's is so great. great i can't I, I can't find any fault in that i don't no. i think that everything that uh, you know i that know there's remained. a little bit of a, a wendy effect and some people have issues with well, yeah with and, remain I, and, and, and i what hear they've that done. too but i don't i i i know what you're talking about but i don't I, everything that i can see it really does push the, the negative thing which is uh, without talking about it too much because i'm a huge fan of remain and everything that they've done you know people just it seems like the people have the feeling that you know who is she to come in and, and control our town but those people are short-sighted in my opinion yeah. you know they don't i don't want another gallery i don't want another insurance agency or another you know another real estate office at the in end town. of the day it's creating business it's creating yeah. the community so well, I don't what know. you what they really hope to do is keep downtown vital yeah, and it's you know, so that in the winter time there's more stuff to do in town, and I really think that with this new culinary center, it's going to be. A, a, we are hoping and really feel strongly it's going to become a real epicenter. So let's of talk community about this culinary center. You got you were in charge. You've so been- remain identified a building that was in distress. This was the old Mooney building, which at this point was uninhabitable. It What's the address of it? Twenty two Federal. Okay. So it used to be. Um, it used to be a lot of different things. It was built in the eighteen seventies after. It was built after the Great Fire, after whaling industry was down, and before um, tourism became. So it was built in a very strange time on Nantucket. That's mm-hmm. kind of really the, the low time, I guess. Um, the building was full of asbestos. The town, people who worked for the town refused to work there anymore, so the building had become vacant and gone to auction, remained, picked up the building, and started to renovate it immediately. They worked with, uh, with the town, with... Um, private consultants to talk to everybody in the town and they worked with lots of different chefs and to try and figure out what what the town needed what they could offer the town that would be helpful and through lots of different ideas and, and different plans what kind of grew out of it was a culinary center a place that would be a community gathering space a cafe open in the evenings that didn't serve alcohol you know and, and had a real educational basis remain seems to have a a, a common thread of of working to give it more of a, a college atmosphere here. They've done a lot Education with bringing, yeah, they, they've brought, well, they bring the, the UMass students out in the wintertime and some like 20 or 30 UMass students come out and do these, you know, work at the field station and work with, I, I don't know a lot about it. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk out of turn. I just know that they've, they've done a great work to, to get that here and to get that educational feel going. Um, and they wanted this to continue that, you know, everyone who spends any time on Nantucket is aware of how, awesome a place it is to eat you know nantucket is easily an eater's destination you can eat you can be here for a week eat at different restaurants three times a day and have an awesome experience the restaurants here as we mentioned before because the market is so tight you know and and so fickle if you don't do a good job you don't make it so you can easily especially in town you know not throw a rock and hit a bad restaurant you know everything has to have a quality to it or it's not going to survive out here true you know i've seen good restaurants come and go but because of whatever reason you know the rent's too high you, you have to be efficient um so remain had put out this broad broad scope they put out a, an rfp which is a recommendation for a proposal mm-hmm. um and it was just a, it was a two-page document they said that we wanted to open the a culinary center it's going to have x y and z it's going to have a a cafe on the ground floor. It's going to have a demonstration on the first floor, a demonstration kitchen, event space on the first floor. It's going to have a interactive kitchen on the third floor, on the top floor. And we want it to be sustainable. We want it to be for the community. 
we wanted to, you know, have X, Y, and Z. How would you run a business successfully with this facility? And I came up with a business plan. When my wife and I came up with a business plan, we had lots of help from lots of great people on the island and, you know, and presented to them all the financials, how we were going to do it, how it was going to work. And through an interview process, they, you know, I don't, I'm not sure in total how many completed applications they had. Um, but we were selected to and, and awarded the Congra- lease. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge. So we are, I mean, the, the business is ours. You know, it's one of the, the biggest kind of confusions about it is that we don't, we're not working for Remain. We're not employees of Remain. Remain is our landlord and they are incredibly benevolent landlords throughout the building process. The but bu- it's yours the, to, you have, your, the, the business is ours to run. The it's building, on your the shoulders. building is, is theirs to create. And, yeah, that's and good. There could be together. some misconception about but that. You know what? Yeah. And there was a lot of potential for that. And the more we work with them, the more that it becomes obvious that our, our goals are, are really in line. You know, it's really, it's really we're synchronistic. I don't know. We, yeah. You know, but we, we want the same things for the building, you know, and, and, and they are providing for us a, a, a turnkey business with an undermarket lease. You know, it's the fair market value on that building is, is more than you could ever be profitable. So by there you running go. A There's a family like that's living out here that's been given a business opportunity that could potentially. Which is why it's hard for me to complain about housing or anything. I mean, I really feel like with this, we've hit the, the corner lottery. You know, this is something that we are incredibly passionate about, something we care deeply about, and we're going to be given the opportunity and this platform to um, to do what we want to do for Let's our talk community. about the uh, the cooking kitchen. They have I love that idea, and I've been to a couple in New York at the French Culinary Institute. Just like uh, the recreational cooking classes. Well, you cooking. I went to two uh, cooking demonstrations, and uh, they weren't demonstrations. It was a cooking seminar, and they the, the chefs up there, and I, and they were making. Um, what was it? it was braised pork i think this was so a- we, have, we have within the building there's two there's two separate facilities um we can talk about the cafe a little bit separately and we're treating it separately it's two different businesses you know the cafe which is one thing and then we have the the event space and the interactive kitchen the demonstration kitchen um which is a separate space which and is so cool because it allows you to bring in chefs you can do so much it, out it, of that. it does and we can bring in everybody but our, our number one priority is going to be for the community is to be able to give local chefs an outlet to do these demonstrations and to bring awareness to the food that they're doing, to the food that is representative of Nantucket. Um, and for us, it's going to be a very regional thing before anything else. We do hope that down the road... you say regional, meaning like... New sea, England food. New England food. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you it know, is a lobster roll. Yeah, <laughs> without, without saying it, you know, it's clam chowder and lobster rolls. I got a clam chowder and it's, lobster it's roll. It's the food that's inspired by the chefs who work here. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't do great Italian food with... Um, we just, you know, for anyway. for us and without being trendy, it's going to be local first. You know, it's going as far as as what we're doing. That sounds cool. So you could have, well, any so the, the place will be available. Any chef on the island is welcome to, you know, work with us and we'll set up a, a time. They can come in. They do a demonstration. We have in that demonstration kitchen. If we do like classroom seating, it's not a huge space. We can seat about thirty people. Mm-hmm. If it was like a standing room only type thing, we could do probably fifty people. Um, and that's right where the, the limitations for the floors are about 50 people per floor as far as the size of the building. Um, but so if, you know, Gabriel from, from Straight Worth has an opportunity, has some downtime, wants to do a, a demonstration, wants to show people how to roll pasta, he's more than welcome to come in, use our facility. We already have um, deals in the works with Sustainable, Sustainable Nantucket, who works with all the chefs and, and helps to do demonstrations. They've been doing demonstrations at the farmer's market. 
but this is just providing a, a real first class facility. Yeah, a stage. Yeah, it's a stage, and we could be able to do production stuff there. You know, bring in some lighting and, and film it, and and do cooking shows. I mean, like the platform is is so unlimited to what we can do there, only by our imagination. Well, that's exciting. You get. That's really. It sounds like a huge undertaking. <laughs> it is I, a huge I'm, undertaking. I'm surprised you had time to come in and speak. With I me have no time. It. I know. You know, but, but I mean, it's really cool, though. I mean, and so there, there'll be all. There will be a commercial cafe. So there'll well. be, I'll, I'll give you the, the breakdown of the building very quickly. The ground floor, which is going to be kind of subterranean, you, you'll go down some stairs to get into that ground floor, but the building was jacked up and the holes were d- dug deeper, so it, it won't feel like you're in a basement. But you go down there, it's a small cafe, a lot of grab-and-go food is going to be our, our real focus, which is, you know, healthful, prepared, everything from scratch, grab-and-go stuff that you'd either grab and take back to your office for lunch or take to the beach, Lots of prepared foods, lots of real focuses on on vegetables and and, and healthful eating. Just all scratch made stuff. A lot of uh, like contornes, which is uh, Italian for side dish. So eggplant, you know, baba ganoush, or and you're working on all these menus and these. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Constantly working on all this stuff. Oh my uh, god. I mean, right now our focus, <laughs> I'd say, directly is is more on the the branding and marketing and image of, of building this business and all on all all the entities within the building. Um, and the food will, will come a little bit later. Right now, we're just looking for inspiration. You know, the food, I cook all the time. You know, and it, with, with somebody, a great chef I worked for, you know, once told me the, the food's the easy part. And, and I got to believe him. I got I to gotta agree with him on that. I mean, it's, 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 it's incredibly important, but, but we're chefs and we know how to cook. Yeah. You know, the business part of it, the making sure that we have a, a sustainable platform, you know the the creation of something that doesn't exist before with a with a name. I mean, we we have a really iconic position on the island with being at the corner of Broad and Federal. Yeah, that location. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible location, and it, it has you know frontage on both Broad and Federal Street. You know, I, I think of town with all its little roads here and there, one way this, one way that. You know, you have Main Street, you have Broad Street, and you have Federal Street, which is the connector. You know, it's like a big H. You have Center Street on the top, which is awesome, and the you know Easy Street or you yeah. know Water Street kind of comes in and out. But that's towns of square, and you know I, I think the same way that the the hub has become iconic on one end of Federal Street, I think we have an opportunity to to really be the other side of that street. You know, a street that has 21 Federal which, or Ventuno, which is uh, you know if if you pay attention to the restaurant history on Nantucket is is, is incredible. You know, as far as 21 Federal, which is opened by Bob Kincaid, who then opened 21 Federal in D.C. and now has Kincaid's and has spawned all these great chefs, you know. And it's another part of what we really hope to do is to bring back some of these chefs who have had Nantucket experiences and to bring back and give them an opportunity to come back and cook. And It seems like the right time, like food culture on Nantucket is exploding. I mean, there's so many. Food culture many. around the country is exploding. It is, and that, that's a whole other topic. I mean, just I, the, 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 I, the, I start to digress once we start talking about this stuff because I get excited and I get passionate about it. But I, I feel strongly that the next big trend in food, especially with some of the stuff on the horizon, which the, the drought and the, the you know, they're, they're talking about the cost of produce doubling within a year. That's gonna it's gonna affect everybody in ways they can't even imagine right now, because of the water shortage. Yeah, Ava- California grows avocados everything. Are gonna, I know everything is gonna. They talk about this is in the the Wall Street Journal. They're talking about produce doubling in price within a year, so that's gonna affect everybody. So and, that pushes it more. I mean, that whole buy local it is even more important. Incredibly important. But the the thing that that we were trying to focus on, and what I really think is going to be the next big trend in food, is people cooking for themselves. 
I think people are going to realize with the, uh, the abundance of information through the internet, the availability of high quality equipment, things that you'd only be able to do in a restaurant are now easily done at home. Um, and the awareness because of the internet, because of social media, because people's love of food. I mean, I would, I would hasten to guess what per- percentage of Instagram stuff is pictures of food. Food porn. But, but it's a solid thing. <laughs> food porn is a term that didn't exist. Yeah, food porn, it didn't exist. You know, so years, everyone yeah. is really, really into food right now. And I think the idea of cooking food yourself is going to gain popularity. And it's something that I really want to be on, on the forefront of. You know, I want I want to help people learn how to cook and be comfortable with it. There's so many it. different styles, too. How would you classify your style? I, I, it's hard to do. You I know, know it's like asking I, what I, kind of... Well, no, it's just, it, it's just... I don't want to sound cliched, but I, I cook with the seasons. I cook the food that's in front of me. And, um, you know, I heard a great term from the, the chef de cuisine at, at Boarding House. His name I don't remember, so I apologize if you hear this. But um, he talked about reverse engineering food. Tony? And, I don't know. The board, is this a while ago? Or? No, no. The guy is right there. He's there now at the boarding house. It's Tony. Okay. Yeah, I think that. I don't know his last name. but I don't know. I don't, again, I didn't catch his name. But he talked nice about guy. reverse engineering food. He talked about, you know, this was a meeting that we had with chefs and farmers. That sounds like a culinary buzzword. Reverse, I love it, though. Reverse engineering Well, because he talked food. about, like, instead of coming up with a menu item and figuring out what you need to do that menu item, you, you come up with a great piece of produce, a great piece of protein, and you decide what the best thing for that, that food item is. So instead of starting with a menu and working towards, you know, what you need for that menu item, which is more of a traditional thing. Like, I, I want to have duck orange on the menu. Well, first you need to find duck, then you need to find this, then you need to find that. Instead, you wait and have somebody bring you, this is what we're growing right now. This is what we're harvesting. We've got this great meat. Well, We've got this great fish. So it's Correct. So, but you start with the ingredient and you work backwards to the food. You know, so if I go to the market and the eggplant looks awesome... Well, then great. I can come home and make a baba ganoush or, you know, pickled eggplant or, you know, whatever dishes that you can come from that. So I think that's a lot of my style of cooking, which is I'll go to the grocery store and find out what's good and then come home and make food out of that, you know. And that's kind of been what I've been doing for a long time. It's, you know, cooking for my family, cooking for my friends, which is more of the cooking that I do. You know, right now, I, I, I bartend in the evenings for, for money. And Yeah, you've worked at Millie's for how many years? My third year. You yeah. know, the, the guys at Millie's were great. When I, when I left um, the Met and was looking and starting my own business, I was very unsure about how successful I'd be with the, the private chef and catering thing. And the guy who runs Millie's, Eamon, and I go back a long way, and I called him and asked him if I could bartend for him. With you and Sam, Sam right? Sam Herrick? Yeah, Sam Herrick was there at my first summer there. Yeah, I remember seeing you guys. Yeah, and it was, it was fun. It's easy. Millie's, is, I mean, Millie's it's, is, is, it's a great place to go, but it's a better place to work. Never have I worked in a restaurant so geared towards the staff and the employees. The key to Millie's just is to go early. Don't, <laughs> go go at like five. Trying to go at seven just is That's amateur. Just but go in the it. afternoon. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. You know, or get takeout and go to the beach. Yeah, and I just was at Millie's uh, last Thursday. Um, were you working last Thursday? Probably. Oh. We sat outside, but I went to the Millie's, uh, took over that. Um, Little market? Market. Yeah. There. And the most, they have an ice cream shop yeah. in there, which is it's, it's brilliant. It. You know, we don't we don't have dessert at the restaurant. Yeah, you want dessert? Go next door. No problem. That was a good business. Yeah, but Millie's move. is great, and 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 it's been a great place to work. And when I'm gone from there, it will be a sad day for me, but a happy day because it means I'm I'm busier with my own business. Yeah, I just can't. What a Herculean effort it is to launch this thing. I want to talk. To I you have. About I have. You know, we're putting together a great team. My wife is incredible when it comes to and that, well, administrative that, that you just organization. Your wife, 
going into business is is really tricky for a couple and it puts stresses on a relationship. That's Every, everything is tricky for a couple, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, and, so. and having that strong relationship first. I mean, the kids and, and all, you know, don't have kids unless you really want them. You know, I can, I can certainly say that. And, and, and we've been good at it. And my wife and I work really well together and, and I'm excited to go into business with her. Right. I'm just saying that sometimes that, that component of, it, it can be that of all the things I'm worried about, that is not one of them. That's good. That's yeah. a good place to start. In, in fact, when <laughs> when we're setting up, you know, the uh, the incorporation and stuff for the for the business, uh, the attorney that we're working with recommended. It's like you know, it's, you guys want this to be an equal partnership. And we're like, of course. And he said, I just want to recommend. He's like, I'll tell you, eighty percent of my work is to solving equal partnerships. <laughs> you know, it's like it doesn't. It, I You're don't like, care thanks. for what reason. But so it's like, well, he- I said, great. Then then my wife is fifty one percent owner. Yeah, you know, and that makes she she is so, she is without a doubt. You know, I, I'm operations. I can cook. I can do anything restaurant wise, and nothing of that scares me. The office stuff, the administrative stuff, the legal stuff. She is incredible. And that's the, that's going to be a feather in your cap because you yeah. don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't have gotten this opportunity without her, and she wouldn't have gotten it without me. You know, it's effectively sounds like a, a real team. team. Yeah, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah, but what the amount of hoops and the stuff that you have ahead of you is almost probably daunting right it's- yeah yeah we've, we're overwhelmed at all times but you know if your dreams don't scare you you're not dreaming big enough it's true you know there's all sorts of cliches which i love to go back to and that's that's one of them you know a, a ship is safe at harbor but that's not what it's built for you know you have to go out there and you have to scare yourself and you know you have to work at it if you're not doing those things you're not really living and and we have a great opportunity here to to be scared and to be successful and, and to overcome all sorts of all sorts of things. I'm going to give you another one. There's no I in team, Greg. There's no I in team. There is a me, however. There is a me. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's two sides to every coin, depending on how you flip it. And if you're on a boat and the sailor says flip it, you say it's stormy. Okay. Did that make any sense? No, not really. I had, see, it doesn't matter, though. You it's just fine. say it with authority. <laughs> that sounds That's good. That's my management tip to you. Say it with authority. Say it with authority and act like you know what you're talking about. As long as you're confident, everyone else will follow. So what's the opening date? Uh, you know, we are still have a lot of construction ahead of us. We, we will hope to receive the building um, from the contractor sometime in late summer. And we are now targeted to open sometime between Labor Day and Columbus Day. So it's very, very broad. You know, we're, we're, as soon as the building is done, we'll get in there and we'll start to work out kinks. We are very fortunate in the relationship we have with Remain that, you know, we don't have to, we're not for, we're not rushing to open the doors and get revenue in as soon as possible and make, make money, make money, money, you know. Well, that's where you make mistakes. Correct. So we have a great opportunity and, and Remain is being an incredible partner in the opening. You know, the building is theirs. They are 100% in charge of the construction. They've asked us for input and we've given it wherever we can and they've listened and they've, again, they've just been awesome. You know, I can't say enough about the experience working with them. And at some point, the building will be done and delivered. And, you know, the the, the final finality of the lease will be executed and it'll be our building. Right now, it's still their building. I mean, we've signed leases and, and done all that kind of stuff. But until the building is completed, it's not really ours. And once it's completed, we'll get in there and we will work very hard to make sure that the building works. The building is going to be LEED certified. The building has all sorts of wonderful things about it, but it's going to be some training to learn how to use the building as far as lighting systems, audiovisual. You know, we're going to have a whole, in, in the demonstration kitchen, there'll be a, you know, a flat screen TV mounted to the, the ventilation hood with a closed caption 
you know, not a, a close circuit camera pointed directly on the stove, um, so you can look while you're watching. It'll be like watching a live cooking school, you know. So we have that the 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 camera the the projection up there on the flat screen, and you know we could have chefs come in and they want to do a slideshow, you know, want to do a lecture, and everything kind of works together. It, it's like a really well set up uh, office building. There's another camera in the back which captures the whole thing, which will go to a TV on the on the top level in case there's overflow, in case you have some. You know, a really well attended item. So you're gonna need you're gonna need an audio video guy. We have audio. We have all sorts you have of all stuff. That. Oh yeah. my god. We have Your an I, we have, we have an of... IT guy. We have an AV guy. We have a you know the, the the acoustical guy, the lighting guy. They have an incredible amount of experts working on the building. Unbelievable. You know, Remain is 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 doing everything they can to make sure the building is. You know, for Remain, the building is their thing. They're creating this building. Whether or not down the road, you know, if, if, if Joy and I are huge failures, which I'm certain we won't be, they still have the building and they still have the mission, you know, and, and for them, they're not, they're not cutting any corners. And, it's in, and for that reason, I've worked with other construction projects. They're not in a huge hurry and they're not cutting corners. So, I mean, everything is getting done incredibly well. You know, the Scanlon, who's the, the large contractor who is in charge of the whole project, is, seems to be doing a great job. You know, it's not... I don't have a huge knowledge of it. The Clark brothers who are doing it, most of the local work are doing an incredible job. And, you know, everybody that I've seen come through there, the place looks great, you know. And, and I, I know firsthand from all the plans and all the work that's going into it, the place is going to look great. The place is going – I mean, you've been to the Music Center, right? Yeah. It's, it's incredible, right? Yeah, it is. So imagine that amount of attention to detail going into a culinary center. And that's, that's what we're going to have. We're going to have a world-class facility that will hopefully be able to work as a, a platform for all the local chefs in the area, for young cooks who want to be able to do, you know, a pop-up, you know, we'll have that facility for them. So, you know, if you're a young cook out there and you've been working as a sous chef or working as a line cook and you're here in the wintertime and you want to try and do something that you're passionate about, then, then we have a facility now. Yeah. You can come and, and work with us and develop a, a, a three-night event. You can sell tickets to it. We'll sell tickets to it through our, you know, through our online platform come in serve a meal educate the patrons you know let the people know what it is that you do and and have this kind of opportunity and this kind of an outlet because of our relationship with remain although we are a for-profit business we are allowed to make decisions that aren't always profit driven the same way that when i graduated college not fully in debt i got to make decisions based on passion and heart and what i wanted to do that we have that same kind of opportunity with this building that's going to be the liberty that 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 it's, it's freedom great. You know, is not, something we, that we still have a nut that we still have to make we still have to make money and we still have to do well but again if you know if you're a restaurant on this island you have to make sure that every minute that you're open you're making as much money as you can because rent is so high it's so cut because you know i mean we still have a lot of the expenses and you know we still we're still paying rent but we're just we're we're, we're at a point that we can we can make decisions that are necessarily not necessarily best for the bottom line but great for the community. And, and that kind of a freedom just doesn't exist. Well, it's certainly going to add to the community for sure. And what's the, is the name? Is the, the Nantucket Cooking Center? Uh, right now, the, the working name is the Nantucket Culinary Center that will encompass the, the, the building, which will be both the cafe and the demonstration kitchen and the teaching kitchen. Um, the place has a facility within the facility of that, that cafe on the ground floor, the demonstration kitchen on the first floor, and then the teaching kitchen again on the top floor. Also, there's a small dining room off the teaching kitchen. So, you know, you come in and take a recreational class. There's, there's, there's two things. You come in for a demonstration, you come in, you watch somebody cook, maybe whatever they present, you're able to get a taste of. It's more of a, 
that was very interesting type thing. And then there'll be hands-on classes where you'll come in and you'll actually be responsible for preparing a meal through you and the other members of the class be available for private classes, family, bridal parties, date night, couples nights, you know, for, for whatever. And then whatever food you prepare, you can go to the dining room right next door and sit down and eat, be able to offer the dining room for, for private dining room events for an alternative to going out to dinner. You know, if you have a party of 12 people and you don't want to go to, you know, toppers and get all dressed up and deal with the menu and this and that or, or whatever other restaurant in town, there'll be now an alternative. You can come in and, and book a private event with us. Sounds you know. great. So we have just a million and one opportunities and we are being very, very deliberate to make sure that what we do, we do well. Um, we are very fortunate to be opening up at the end of the summer season when there's people out there who are actually looking for jobs you know when there's housing right, when available, the housing available. Um, and we have th- this this time this winter time to work with our local community to do events to see what what resonates with people well, there and, you, and to get people on our side crucial. to build loyalty to you know have a great additional spot to go for lunch during the day you know in town and there's just not a lot of that you know it's tough to find you know there's just a handful of places there's more and more coming up I was just going to ask you what's going to separate it separate it from well i mean you you have you know west at the bean now has his his have you been to his new shop i have so awesome they're doing sandwiches and they've got he's got a great cook in there the guy who's been at 29 fair last few years Mm -hmm. is doing great sandwiches there and i really enjoyed that and um we're gonna do our best to to feature west's coffee and to feature you know ambrosia teas if we can work something out with those guys and be a real local thing but what's going to set us apart is the education and culinary theme throughout you know, I don't want, I don't want to be in competition with anybody. I mean, healthy competition is good, but we really want to be. And I've spoken with a lot of local chefs about this. We want to be in complement and not in competition with the restaurant community on Nantucket. I want the other chefs on the island who have their own restaurants or working other places to see our facility as a place to increase the awareness of Nantucket as a culinary destination. We want to work with the, you know, the the guest houses in the area to set up weekends and in the shorter seasons to bring people to the island for culinary themed weekends, you know, for once we get into, you know, October wine fest, well, or, wine fest for sure is, yeah. is a no brainer, but we're looking more towards, you know, recreational scalloping season to bring people in for a weekend and, and to sh- take them scalloping to let them visit, you know, the, the shucking, the old, the old shucking sheds and, and then to come in and have a chance to cook with those scallops and a chance to eat those scallops and, and to learn about the sustainability of, of the scallops in, in the harbor and, you know, to, to really kind of bring all that together. We want to make sure that everything we do, we do has a real educational theme and a sustainable theme. We're going to go out of our way to use as few uh, disposable products as possible, to use as much post-consumer stuff as possible, you know, and that's part of our agreement with, uh, with Remain. Is that the bill? You know, there'll be no bleach. There'll be no hazardous chemicals throughout, and you know everything's going to be energy efficient. And no bleach. No bleach. Wow. The hazardous chemical. So, and you use bleach here, it ends up in the water here too. So, it's it's little things like that, you know, which is part of our mission, but more than our mission. What do you use instead of bleach? Well, for sanitizing. Yeah. Use an ammonium quad sanitizer. Huh. There's always alternatives. Way too progressive. <laughs> That's awesome. Though. I hope not. I know. No, it's great. I think it's. I can't. But uh, uh, again, we have the ability because of our relationship with Remain to make decisions based on on heart and and based on you know on on the world and, and what we feel is important. 
you know, when you're looking at buying plastic cups, I guarantee you, you know, styrofoam's the cheapest, right? Mm-hmm. That's why people used it for so long. Now you can't use styrofoam on Nantucket, but you still have decisions that you have to make. You know, when trying to make the, the most sustainable and the, the greenest decision, you know, it's never the cheapest decision. You know, and, and that's part of our mission and it's part of our commitment to the community and to the island and to remain that we will make the right decision. You know, and it's not, it's a tough one. You know, I, I know from talking to other restaurants on the island, you know, if you want to do, so a lot of restaurants have candles, right? Candles are petroleum products. You know, but you can make a decision to go with a palm oil candle. It's going to cost you twice as much. Restaurants can go through, you know, 50 candles a night. But I really like the candle. Is there any difference in the... I'm, just, I'm playing devil's advocate. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, palm oil candles and wax candles are the same. You can't tell the difference. Yeah, so... It, but it's triple the cost? Yeah. Wow. Huh. I, I, I don't foresee us using a lot of candles. It's just an easy <laughs> example. No, no, I, I think that's an interesting uh, talking point, though, because it's uh, something that people need to think about, and I guess if it makes it... Well, people just need to think about the decisions that they make and how it affects the rest of the planet. Yeah, well, there you. I mean, it sounds like you know we're gonna try really hard, you know. And again, I got lots of lofty dreams that maybe they're not too lofty, maybe maybe they are. And and when it comes down to it, if it's you know if it's a bad decision and people don't like it, we're gonna have to reassess. But I would love to not sell single-use plastic water bottles. We will have you know available to the public is is all the free water they want, but not using. But I don't. But I'm not gonna sell Poland Springs plastic water bottles. You know, I'll sell water bottles. And, and, yeah, but know, they made their cap really short. Yeah, they did, and they did better, and I'm happy <laughs> and for them. And that saves so... I know. I, yeah, but there's still that island the size of Texas floating in the ocean, right? Made out yes, of plastic beads. the plastic plumes, right? So... Or pl- pontoons. I don't know what they are, but I don't want to be a part of it if I don't have to be. You know, we're, we're, we're researching... The same way you go to the grocery store, you forget your bags, you can buy a 99-cent bag. We're trying to find a reusable plastic bottle that would be at that same price point. Same price point. You know, pretty much the cost of a bottle of water. But instead, you get a reusable bottle, and you can. So this is the kind of water. stuff you're researching during the day, trying to find. This out. is the kind of stuff that we are working on constantly, trying to find the best source, the you know the best plastic bottle if we're going to use a plastic bottle, the best disposable or non-disposable container, and what it would cost us. You know, if we want to sell instead of selling cork containers of soup, maybe we can sell mason jars of soup. You know, mason jar costs a dollar, cork container costs you know nine cents. Well, those so are- if that's in the cost of the product, would it keep people from buying it? But it costs a dollar more, but we'll give you the dollar back when you bring us the jar back. Do people not want that? They don't want a glass jar. They want people want to drink a water bottle and throw it out and not carry it. and not carry it. They don't <laughs> yeah. want to carry water bottles. A lot I of think people I'm, do. I think I'm that guy. There's nothing. I, I love drinking out of a water bottle and throwing it out. Fiji water is delicious. Fiji water plastic is you know is, is produced in in China, shipped to Fiji, filled and then shipped again. It's so, they you don't know, make the, plastic bottles in Fiji. No, they don't. You know, they fill them in Fiji. They fill them in Fiji. And they don't sell plastic bottles in Fiji. And there's also toxins released in that. Or no, absolutely. Is that plastic? Uh, is it a BDP? What is it? The, B- the BPA free. BPA free. I doubt it. Usually, the soft plastic. You that can are drive not yourself BPA-free. mad trying to do this. Trying to fa- chase down every sort of Correct. green. You know, I think you have to. But you do have to pick your battles. Exactly. You know, and you have to decide what. What would it, you know? Again, I I would love to sell all our prepared grab and go foods in glass and reusable plastics. However, a lot of people want to go to the beach, and eat take their it crap, put it in container. a paper bag, and then throw it in the trash can when they're on the way to the parking lot. 
you know so you don't want to put you don't want to alienate yourself from people who want to buy stuff but you also don't want to contribute to the you know the detriment of the planet if you don't have to it's a tough decision it is a tough and these decision, are the decisions that keep me up at night right now <laughs> you know well, you're clearly passionate about it i think i there's no doubt in my mind you're clearly the right uh man for the job you enjoy so i can't wait i, to- I couldn't feel any I, you know i i agree with that i think that we are well positioned to do this really well and I, I feel a lot of confidence that we're going to be able to do it. That's saying we're still we're still scared, you know. We're still intimidated every day, but it's that's how you grow. And I, I think that we're growing as a couple, as a business, you know. And, and I think that we're going to hopefully, you know, bring a, a really great facility and, and a great thing to the island, to the island community. Well, I think it's in the works, Greg. Yeah. Greg you know. Margolis, <laughs> chef, family man, yeah. fish head. <laughs> yeah, I saw Greg at a fish show. That's right, I did see you. Um, no, Greg, I think it's going to be great, and I'm glad that you took time out of your busy schedule to talk on Inside the Whale. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Thank it, you. Very it, it, it was great to have you, uh, and I will certainly do any everything I can, uh, and you know, be even doing this podcast helps get the word out. And, and for sure, like I said, we've been really limited in our press, and and we're gonna. In the, in the you know, with by the end of the summer, everybody will know everything that's going well, on. Well, I appreciate but. you taking the time, and, and especially coming on Inside the Whale to to reveal some of this stuff. I know it's uh, you picking and choosing where you're going to do it, and I'm glad you decided to do it on my podcast. My pleasure. And I'll do everything I can on my end to promote it because I do believe that uh, the culinary center is going to really bring a lot to the community. And uh, you're the guy. Yeah, you're the well, guy. I appreciate it. Thank Great you. Great job, much. Greg. Thank All you, right. Greg Margolis. Good Thank man. you very much. <laughs> there you have it. Thank you, Greg, for taking the time to sit down on Inside the Whale. That was an ex- I feel that was exclusive, right? I mean, what what a cool thing to have in Nantucket, a cooking center. Chefs can do demonstrations. I just think it's great. It's certainly a unique component to add to the community. I can't wait to see it. I can't think of a better fit. And during the interview, I have to say, Greg really is unbelievably passionate about uh, making this thing a success. And one thing he didn't say after the interview, but there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of competition. A lot of people applied and, and I think that they, you know, remain interviewed a lot of different people and they picked the right guy. He and his wife, Joy, are certainly uh, committed to making this thing a success. And I like that he's really trying to incorporate other people other chefs, other restaurants, other farmers in the community to make it an integral part of uh, the operations of how the cooking center runs. So I'm looking forward to it. Maybe we'll do a live podcast when it's open at the grand opening. Anyway, that's it, folks. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for checking in on Inside the Whale. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. I can be reached at insidethewhaleack at gmail.com. Go out and see some of those films. Definitely check out uh, that Gore Vidal documentary and uh, enjoy the weekend. It looks like weather should be decent. And God bless film. I'm going to play a film-inspired song right now to take us out. Have a good one. We'll see you on the next episode, guys. Everybody's in movies, doesn't matter who you are.
She wanted to be 